there was a big rift inside Apple about the Mac product line in general. And I think it started with that famous story about Steve Jobs coming in and slapping the iPad down on the table and saying, why can't the Mac be more like this? Because he famously wanted everything to be an enclosure that was democratized, that was for as many people as possible. And Johnny really shared that philosophy. And when they came to the MacBook Pro, they're like, can we make a MacBook Pro that's more useful, That's that, that has Johnny's philosophy that only includes things that are used 80% of the time by 80% of the people. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I think I'm still John Rettinger. I think you are too. Geared Up is your look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets. And John, it has been a minute. Dude, I noticed that you didn't say weekly. I didn't say it. I wanted to say it. I almost said it, but I couldn't say it. And I don't know if it's my responsibility to take responsibility. I feel like it might be. I'm going to blame you. Okay, that's fine. This time of year, when September rolls around, and then we go into October, November, Q4, if you will. Things start getting crazy, and this year is no different, and apparently, I can't handle it. Apparently, I don't know how to stay on task and on track and do my video job and also maintain my responsibilities as a podcast co-host, which you rightly expect me to do. I fail. I am behind on videos more than I've ever been in my life. I think I have like eight videos that I'm supposed to be working on simultaneously, and the podcast fell away for a little bit. My fault. Now, John, I'm sure you have been on top of everything. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, I I appreciate Andrew falling on a sword. It was actually me who had to cancel last week. That's what a leader he is, taking blame and owning it. But regardless, I'm happy to be here. And I think that we came back with our best guest. Oh, for sure. I mean, not only our best guest, but possibly our most organized guest, because this man has not fallen behind on videos. Never fallen behind on or videos. Or podcasts. Never. No. It's all very true. He does it all simultaneously. Why don't we do that? He does. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yes, Renee Ritchie is back. Renee, how are you doing, sir? Good, man. Good, man. But, you know, in truth, I didn't have the five embargo Monday like you had, like with all the Android devices, too. I only had the three embargo Monday. Right. That's all you had. That was like the weirdest day. (laughs) (laughs) So for people who don't know, the embargo is basically when we get products early and then they say we can't talk about them publicly until a certain date and time. And that Monday was interesting because not only was it product embargo day, but it was multiple times throughout the day. So just throughout yes. the day, you would just sprinkle in another, just drop another video at some point. A drop. What were the products? What were the products from? Except for Marquez, he went to play with Arrivian and didn't do any of the embargoes until. Like, right, right. Like I mean, that's the way to do later. it. That's the way to do it. But what was it? was MacBook Pro. MacBook Pro, AirPods, Pixel 6, Monterey, and there was one more that I'm blanking on. Forgot about Monterey. The HomePod wasn't that day, was it? Maybe. It might have been. I mean, that's fun. I didn't get any of those. So my day was easy. I don't know what you chumps were doing. I didn't get the Pixel, so mine was easy too. <laughs> nope. No Google, Pixel 6 for Google. John. Okay. I'm telling you, I, I somehow pissed a lot of people off along, along the that, way. That's what you do, though. That's your MO. It appears that is my MO. So we're back. Before we jump into these topics about the products themselves, what are you guys doing about holiday shopping? It hasn't really hit me that... Like, it seemed to be like a fairy tale. I kept hearing about the backups at the docks and everything. And I didn't really see the effect too much until maybe the past couple of weeks. But isn't it 2021, too? Because, like, 2020 took eight years 
to get through. Right. Now, yeah. 2021, it's halfway through November already. And I mm. blinked once, I think. Right, right. So I have three words for you. As I take my kids to school in the morning, I can see the ships lined up outside of Long Beach Harbor. Are you serious? And they've been, and they've been sitting there. Sitting there, sitting, sitting there. So when it comes to holiday shopping, three words, did it already. Mm. Wow. Done. Wait a minute. By did it already, did you sit your kids down and just explain the whole <laughs> legacy node problem and how my daddy's not going to be able to get any processors this year? <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what I did. I'm sorry. Santa's not coming this year. There's no presents for you. The sleigh needed a 44 millimeter chip and Santa just couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. I listen, my, my kids are young, so it's easy. They pretty much just want anything Pokemon. So I just ordered a bunch of Pokemon stuff and I was done. That's it. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worrying about anything else. Simple. Easy. You're a simple man. No, I mean, even the fact that Apple stores don't have iPhones in stock. Just, I mean, that just seems Still? so... Yeah, some of them what? don't have iPhones in stock. Like, it seems so counter to... I mean, usually this time of year, and obviously we're still in a pandemic, but usually this time of year, these stores are just packed with people walking out with everything Apple makes and now you go in and it's like, well, we can help you place an order on this lovely iMac. We don't have one to sell you, but we can yeah. place the order together. I take that iMac. No, we need it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, don't, I haven't even wrapped my mind around holiday shopping yet. And it seems now, am I too late? What do we do here? I don't know what you guys are going to do, but. Yeah, but you're done. <laughs> I, I, thanks, I'm done. Thanks for being helpful. All right, let's talk about some products here. So as you know, like we said, it's, it's been a little bit. We had a couple a episodes over the past couple months, but it hasn't been weekly like normal. It's been like every three weeks or so. So we didn't touch on a lot of these products, but we're going to just jump in. The first one, potentially the most exciting one, although, John, you said you don't even have one of these yet, the new MacBook Pro. No, that I do have. I mean, I didn't have it for the embargoes. For the embargo stuff, I didn't have. But you picked it up. I'm using it. I'm on it. That's what I'm looking at you guys with right now. Nice. Okay. So let's talk about these. First of all, Renee, I want to congratulate you on your coverage of uh, not just the products, but the interviews that you did on the M1 process. These were very informative. I don't know. I feel like Renee gets shy when we we compliment him, but I just need to say, I just need to say this. I'm Canadian. I melt. (laughs) the way that you were able to take an interview about such a complicated piece of hardware that's really an ingredient to what a product really is, a piece of an ingredient that most people do not care about, right? Most people don't. They just want the MacBook Pro and they want it to work. And you were able to have that broken down into plain English was mastery. Oh, thank you. Fantastic work. So if you haven't seen that, Renee interviewed. Who did you interview? Who were the two people? So it was Tim Millett, who's vice president of Silicon. Basically, he's been in charge of the chipset since the original iPhone. He works under Johnny Saruji, who runs the entire platform technologies group. And Tom Boger, who's like a lifer. He's been at Apple 27 years. He's in charge of Mac and uh, iPad product marketing. And he's like, the thing I love about it is like, you could just hear like how much he loves the Mac. It's like he's been his yes. baby. His baby. He's put it through college. You know, now <laughs> it's finally talking to him again, and he's so happy about it. <laughs> right, right. And you can and you can see that in these interviews. Like you can see the passion come through these guys. Yeah. So obviously, this was about the M1 Pro and M1 Max, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But first, let's go go over an overview of these MacBook Pros because they've been talked about on YouTube at length, but not here on our show. And, and we haven't gotten John's opinion of this yet. We've got just a little bit of mine. And that's what people are here for. Why did you buy this? 
I have a lot of opinions, but I, first, I have a question for that I've been itching to ask Renee. So obviously this MacBook Pro generation got rid of the touch bar, mm-hmm. brought back ports, right? Mm-hmm. And kept a relatively familiar design with the notch and all kinds of other crazy things that are here. So Johnny Ive is often rightfully so lauded as being you know, a visionary designer. Is revolutionizing and standardizing Apple's design language. And oftentimes that design language being done at the expense of function for the sake of form. Can we say, and is, is it safe to assume, that Johnny Ives' designs held Apple back from having computers with more mass appeal? Computers, for, especially for professionals like us, that had these ports. There was a big rift inside Apple about the Mac product line in general. And I think it started with that famous story about Steve Jobs coming in and slapping the iPad down on the table and saying, why can't the Mac be more like this? Because he famously wanted everything to be an enclosure that was democratized, that was for as many people as possible. And Johnny really shared that philosophy. And when they came to the MacBook Pro, they're like, can we make a MacBook Pro that's more useful, That's that, that has Johnny's philosophy, but only includes things that are used 80% of the time by 80% of the people. And things like ports to him were always annoying because they changed. They went from Firewire 400 to 800, mini DVI to dual link DVI, DisplayPort, Thunderbolt 2. And he's just like, forget that. The ports are going to be different in two years anyway. Just stick a bunch of USB-C. We can dongle them to anything that we want. And we'll just make like a really lightweight computer for all these people who now identify as pros who are really different than hardcore pros, because the hardcore pros like us, we always, we've lived that dongle life forever. We've had to buy every single one of those dongles, but there was like developers became the biggest customer of Pro Max and their needs were very different from AV, you know, professionals, people making movies, science was increasing on it. And it worked to the extent that they made a fortune off those MacBook Pros because they appealed to a wider market, but they really, really cheesed off the people who were used to buying the MacBook Pro. And yeah. I think the biggest mistake they made is they made a MacBook Air Pro underneath the new Mac Pro, the two-port one, that was for people who they said wanted the Retina Air, but they didn't do the logical step of making a Pro Pro on top of of all those like yeah. middle ground ones. Like if they'd made just one model that was thicker, that still had the ports, that was like the Mac. Pro Book Pro, I think they would have had three years of way less pain than they ended up having. Or we all we all would have had three years of way less pain. That is true. Do we blame Johnny Ive for that era? Him and uh, and several other people, and you could tell like the hardcore Mac people. Everyone who's smiling so loud right now are the ones who finally won. Like they lost for like five yeah. years because <laughs> they have the same arguments inside Apple that we have. And they have like, and when we do stuff, when we make videos, we write articles, they get motivated. Like there's an iPad mini because of an article in O'Malley's old publication that said how great the Google tablets were. And they took that and they used that to win that argument. And that's why all this stuff is is really, really great. I hate saying Apple listen because when Apple listens to me, I'm happy, but it means someone else didn't get what they want. And when they listen to somebody else, I don't get what I want. So right. like they're always listening, but I think they made a decision that appeals more to the traditional MacBook Pro customer this time. Yeah, in this case, I mean, when you say Apple listened, like there's listening to like one person versus another where one person wins and one person loses. Yeah. In this case, it's like, we listened to everyone. Like, what port do you need? Because it's, unless it's a USB-A, we've got you yeah. here. Or and, HDMI 2.1. <laughs> right. You you want a nice keyboard? Like, I don't know who feels like they lost losing the touch bar. You know what? I'm going to just be honest. I liked the touch bar. I didn't hate the touch bar. I guess I didn't love it. But I wish 
if as you guys are using your MacBook Pros right now, above the function row, there's still a little space. You could have still had the touch bar right there. I would not have minded keeping that around as long as I had it. I was so lost, Andrew. I didn't know how to stop a screen recording without the touch bar. Like I was screen recording and it usually just pops up and it says stop and how long it's been recording for. And I, right. I like I had to start Googling on my phone for how to and then I just saw the icon in the menu bar and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, I wish they would have iterated on the touch bar, at least the software, and like made yeah. it do more. It seems like it, it launched several years ago, right? How long? Is it like 2016. four or five years old? Okay, so five years, half a decade of touch bar, and it felt like it came out and n- nothing ever was added or like it just stayed. And don't you feel like we should never be more invested in a piece of technology than the company that makes it? That always just feels like a bad deal. Yes, I agree. Is that the shortest design iteration that Apple's had? I mean, that was they need, there was no second generation touch bar that was larger or had higher resolution. I mean, they just there's like just gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's done now. There was that series of years, I don't know, fifteen years ago, where like they would release and they would have an iPod event like every three months. Here's a new iPod again, and it was, <laughs> and fair. they would just they would just discontinue one and like have a new. Well, one. there was the buttonless iPod Shuffle that they got rid of immediately, and the fatty iPod Nano that they got rid of immediately. The fatty nano. The fatty nano. The fatty nano. I broke that story. I broke that story back in the day. I leaked that. I didn't leak it, but I was given information. Apple used to be a different place back then. Like people would just say, here's a photo. I'm just testing this out and it's going to be called the iPod Nano. And those are the days. That buttonless shuffle. It was a shuffle, right? Or was it a nano? I had like a Chrome version of it. It like clipped onto your shirt. Yeah, that was the buttonless iPod shuffle. It was like a tie clip. What a ridiculous product. <laughs> okay, MacBook Pro. John, what do you what are you liking about this? All right, so we, we picked up a few of them, some for editing and then one just for me kind of messing around with. From an editing standpoint, we edit in Final Cut. Time is obviously important. But being able yeah. to just cut it. We, we are coming from a pretty beastly, about three-year-old at the time, top-spec Intel Mac. It was a really solid machine. MacBook Pro? MacBook Pro. I mean, we okay. took, so let's say it's a 20 minute video, you know, 4K. Our export times now on that are 10 minutes. So it's about half. That ranks pretty closely to a lot of the Mac Pro stuff that we had tested yeah. and used. That's amazing. I could justify the cost night and day when something like that saves time and saves is ultimately going to make more money. That alone is a big enough reason for us to upgrade and to do it. I came from a MacBook Air the M1 MacBook Air that I loved and I yep. adored. Yeah. I mostly just wanted to try the MacBook Pro. I didn't really need it. So I got a 14.1 with just the, the Pro, not the Max. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything nuts. I honestly know it's very little difference between it and the MacBook Air aside from the ports, which are awesome to have. The notch doesn't bother me. I think it's a horrible eyesore, <laughs> but it's not impeding my ability to, to use the computer. Yeah. Touch ID seems way faster than on the Air. Like... I was never the biggest Touch ID on on computer fan, but this is the best version of Touch ID on a computer I've ever used. I'm shocked at how how fast it is. And maybe this is Apple creating a problem and then selling you the solution, but being able to just put in the SD card into my computer still feels like slightly magical and such a benign thing and that (laughs) Windows laptops, that Windows laptops have had for years and we're such chumps for being like, we finally have it. But it's awesome. I agree. And I I went for the 14, I should say too. 
Yes. See, I'm like old grumpy man yelling at clouds now because I don't use SD cards anymore. I use the CF Express cards. Yeah. And I don't use HDMI. I use Thunderbolt displays. So I'm just like, okay, there's like, I would have taken six USB-C Thunderbolt 4 ports if they'd given to me instead. But the biggest thing for me is that because of these rendering engines, like they've got these dual, especially on the Max versions, these dual H.264, 265 rendering engines and these dual ProRes engines, I hit the button on Final Cut Pro. Some of the time it's finished so fast, I don't think I've actually hit the button. I doubt my own sanity. <laughs> and I think, wait a minute, that can't be finished. I forgot to actually do it. But other times, nothing else slows down. Like on my old Intel i9 MacBook Pro, I would press render and like even opening Safari would take forever. And then you type and you'd see the characters like slowly fill and It would take forever to do anything. Now there's zero. It's like I have a second, Mac- like I have a MacBook Pro off rendering something and I have a second <laughs> MacBook Pro I get to use to work on thumbnails or titles or fill out the YouTube thing while it's busy rendering. And it's like, that to me is the biggest difference with these machines. I'm very confused still as to how they're so good compared to Intel. So I bought a maxed out 16 inch and Apple sent over. Of well, of course you did. Listen, <laughs> why, you, why would you say, of course? Come on, I'm, you're the man who's got like, you, you've got like nine Teslas. <laughs> yes, with a, with a giant TV in each one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted, you know, I wanted the M1 Max. I wanted the most amount of RAM. Now, here, here's what I was thinking, though. The reason why I got the maxed out version is because I have a Mac Pro that I use, eight terabytes. Believe it or not, I have 768 gigs of RAM in this Mac Pro. Nice. Can we talk about that when you're done? Yes. And then I have I have a bunch of storage in there. I probably have, so aside from like the eight terabytes of the main drive, I have another 40 terabytes in there. In of course. The, in the slots. Yeah. The expansion slots. Yeah, that's important. So that's that's where I like store old videos and stuff. Yeah, 50 gigs of SSD space. I mean, it's, it's terabyte, <laughs> it's 50, terabytes of SSD, 50 terabytes of SSD, that makes sense. 32 terabytes of that is, is HDD, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> but what I was thinking was, if this MacBook Pro has 64 gigabytes of RAM, can even approach the power of the Mac Pro, then I could make... selling my Mac Pro and not losing any productivity. That was my thought. Now, I didn't believe Apple when they said it, basically. I was like, okay, like, I'm sure it's like this perfect conditions and, you know, and I haven't like done direct comparisons between the two, but from what I've seen from everyone else and when I've edited videos on my own, I just don't see what I would be missing. I really do not. And the fact that people have said and shown that the M1 Max chip, which just has a little portion dedicated to video encoding, by the way, it's not the whole chip, yeah. outperforms, what's the card called that I have in this Afterburner, 28-core Mac Pro with Afterburner. The Afterburner card, which, first of all, weighs almost as much as a MacBook Pro in and of itself, just the card. (laughs) And second of all, costs almost as much as a MacBook Pro. How is this happening? How is a tiny portion of a chip defeating something that is dedicated and like 2,000 times larger? 
So Tim's team, Tim Millett's team actually made the afterburner card and those were the sort of chips that they wanted. I have a feeling that this timeline is much longer than they wanted and it ideally those afterburner chips just would have gone into the Mac if they could have gotten it out much earlier. But so they they put them into this dedicated card for the Mac Pro, but the Mac Pro like for traditional computers, you have a separate CPU, separate RAM, separate GPU, separate VRAM. Right. And then Afterburner was a reprogrammable ASIC card, basically just like an off-core processing unit. And think of that as like a charcuterie plate. Like that's a buffet. It's all laid out in front of you. But you have to reach over and grab all the different things every time you want to put it together. Where a system on a chip like M1, M1X, sorry, M1 Max, M1 Pro... That's like a sandwich, like a sushi roll. Like it's just all there already, all connected for you. All you got to do is eat. So they took those same cores from Afterburner and they put them right on the chip. And that means it has access to that pool of unified memory. So 32, 64 gigs, 400 gigabit per second bandwidth. And the one thing you never want with silicon is you never want the transistors to not be used and you never want the cores to not be fed. So you have all that RAM, all that bandwidth constantly feeding all those cores and those processing units share. They don't have to copy back and forth between each other. They don't have to wait for anything. They're just all active all the time. And the acceleration you get from that, it's like putting one of your Teslas in a slingshot, pulling it back (laughs) real far and like letting go. You know, it's just so much potential energy unleashed. That's probably the best analogy I've ever heard, first of all. And the question I want to ask Andrew as a friend who's known you for years and respects <laughs> you as a, as a person, as a, human, as a human being, how big an asshole do you feel like? Well, I mean, I mean not, and, and, and not you in particular, but everybody who bought these Mac Pros and spent yeah. 20, 30, 40, $50,000 on these right. machines for Apple, what, a year later? To essentially release their own silicon, and then a year after that, not obsolete them, but make it a much harder value proposition. Do you feel screwed? Do you feel upset? Are you like, it is what it is? This is just me talking. Obviously, I know people are different here. I am in the camp of make technology advance as fast as you can. And so... Just because I bought something today, like I saw something the other day, a piece of exercise equipment that was released during the pandemic last year, they're about to release a much better version. So it's a year later and all the original buyers are super upset. I just paid for this last year. A year later, you're already making something so much better. You're obsoleting. It's like, no, you bought what you thought was a good deal at the time. What you bought still exists. It doesn't disappear when the next thing comes. You get the value that you believed you were paying for. You still have it as long as it's a good product, like as long as there wasn't a bait and switch. So for me, I want to see this stuff advance as soon as possible. And then it's just up to you if you think that it makes sense for your pocketbook to upgrade. But even if you don't, you still have the thing that you bought and it still works as it was advertised to work originally. So you're not really, in my opinion, losing anything. I did get, in my opinion, the work I was able to do on this Mac Pro versus the iMac Pro I was using previously. I certainly made my money back in time saved and time spent since 2019 when I got it. And it's not valueless today, right? Like these things hold their value pretty well. What's weird is it feels like, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, I can take the MacBook Pro 16 that I have now, 
I can buy, instead of having the internal storage, which is the PCI cards, which obviously won't slip into a MacBook Pro, but I can buy similar amounts of storage, Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4 that stay on the desktop. And I would have, at least for video purposes, and there may be other reasons why you might need a Mac Pro versus a MacBook Pro, but for video editing purposes, I would basically have the same amount of power that I would have today, or maybe more, and I would have more money in my pocket because I can sell the Mac Pro for way more than the cost of the MacBook Pro. So it seems like this might be one of those rare wins. I don't know. I have this analogy. It's like bread. You know, like the bread maker has to make bread every day. Even if you don't personally buy bread every day, any day you do go to buy bread, you want fresh bread. You don't want like one-year-old or two-year-old bread. So I'm like Andrew. I want these companies. I want Apple. I want everybody to update their stuff every year. Even if it's minor updates, just make it the latest and greatest so that if I'm buying it this year, I'm not stuck with a device that's a year older and it's going to age out a year sooner. Whatever is ready, like even if it's small updates, just make sure once a year – if you're buying that year, you get the latest and greatest. If someone buys next year, good for them. They bought their rolls the next day. They can get to enjoy their fresh rolls. I'm happy for them. Right. What's your take on that, John? We started at the beginning with like, you guys get all this stuff from Apple, and I'm wondering why Apple doesn't send me stuff anymore. And I think I'm probably answering my own question here with my or with our <laughs> with our with our perspectives on it. Now, I understand the bread analogy. I understand the Andrew. What you said it's an instance where you can sell it and make money. But the fact that these machines came out so close. I mean, so very close. And as of right now, Apple has not given a clear plan for what the Apple Silicon chip for the Mac Pro is, aside from they're right. going to have a new Mac Pro. Correct. Maybe it'll be a car. That they haven't laid out something for people who spent that amount of money. Right. And I feel as a company, the people who are buying your most expensive thing, the most expensive thing, whether it's your, yep. your Plaid Model S, whatever it might be, there's a certain obligation to them. They're not talking about people who just bought a 999 MacBook Air and now you went from a ninth generation Intel chip to a 10th generation Intel chip. This, this is a drastic change. People have spent $50,000 getting outperformed by a $6,000 computer. That's a big deal. And in business, that money could be reallocated to be used. And I'm not, I don't want to stop progress for the sake of that. But I personally, if I had bought a Mac Pro, I would, couldn't help but feel a little annoyed. How about that? Well, here's for me. Remember, if they didn't release that Mac Pro in 2019, then the Mac Pro would still be the 2013 trash can Mac Pro. Or just pause the Mac Pro, right? Like there's, right. there's, 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 there's no Mac Pro for a while. Is that the right decision? Because you're kind of leaving those customers. They'll probably, I would assume you'd have to leave. If you, if you need something new and the trash can 2013 model isn't cutting it mm-hmm. anymore, you need to just go to Windows unless there's something. You sure. know what I mean? I don't know what the right decision is. I'm just kind of thinking aloud. It's a, it's, a tri- it's a tricky spot. Not that these machines are any slouch, though. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. No, no, certainly not. But it just shows how incredible, I think, like, to Renee's point, how incredible the sushi roll is. Yeah, I yeah, mean, the, that's true. Like, I mean, they, they took that whole charcuterie board and just rolled it all together. And that's impressive. And I think that deserves praise. But also, I think it's fair to call a company out to be, at least in my opinion, to not do some service to those people. So can I add just one little thing to So I think like when you when you look back, because these these Macs, the Apple Silicon Macs we have now, that's about a three-year, four-year process for them. So those got started in 2017. And then by 2019, that same team who was trying to get these out had to stop what they were doing and make the 2019 MacBook Pro and the 2019 Mac Pro because they figured out they just couldn't leave what they had on the market. Like they couldn't leave those butterfly keyboards. They couldn't leave that trash can Mac Pro. 
But I think they also realize that there are going to be like the people who buy the Mac Pros, it, it, some of them are creators as like Andrew Edwards, there's MKBHD, but there's a whole lot of Pixar and ILM money that go into those yeah, machines. Absolutely. And they have so much proprietary software that is written for those Intel boxes that is not changing. Like that's going to take three, four years on its own to change. And I think, and also like the pro workflows team that helps Apple design these now, they are a bunch of Pixar and ILM and Netflix. They are people who work at those studios. And I think yeah. what they said was, we need a $6,000 chassis with wheels that we can cart around on the sets and that we can put (laughs) anything we want in. Like, yes, put a chip in it, put a a hard drive so we can boot up the OS, but we're connecting this to our render man farms. We're connecting these to all of our proprietary stuff. And they're not even going to look at all this M1 stuff for another two or three years. And Apple just, Apple needed something to fill up the five to seven years it was going to take before any of their stuff moves over to Apple Silicon. So they'll have a new Mac Pro next year that has like two to four M1 Max chips in it, but nothing from a studio is going to run on those, I don't think, for a couple of years after that. I want to jump on that real quick. What we're expecting to see next from Apple's desktops, like you just said the rumor, two to four M1 Max chips. Is that where you're leading towards? Like a year from now, we will now be two years into the M1 Will we still be on M1 anything as far as new products go, M1 variants, or will we go over to M2? Mac Pro, I think. I think the rumor is that the Mac Pro is going to get four quad M1, so four dies of the M1 Max, which just means you basically take everything the M1 Max can do and double it. Like M2 is going to come out. M2 is based on A15, right. and that has very good efficiency appeals. It's a much cooler chip. The efficiency cores are much faster. The graphics cores are much faster. So if you want to make a more 12-inch MacBook-style MacBook Air, that is going to be the chip you want. But it's not going to make a big deal for the Mac Pro because like, for example, it's going to have ProRes engines, but the M1 Max already has ProRes engines. Those were sort of backported right. already. So if you just look at their roadmap, we'll be on M2 for the ultra-low power machines, and then we'll get these massive multi-core M1 Max for the big iron. And do you think we're on a two-year update cycle now for Max? I think it's going to depend. Like, they made A-series chips every year, like A, you know, A12, right. 13, 14, 15. They didn't make the X variants every year. They stopped. They were for a little while, but there was no A11X. There was no A13X. Yeah. It was like A10, 12. A14X is essentially M1. So they took their time there. And I think it's going to depend on their roadmap because all of these take a long time. Apple has very little bandwidth because their teams are always so tiny to be able to do anything with. Mm-hmm. And my guess is... There won't be a pressing need. Like maybe they'll do it just to do it, but there won't be a pressing need for an M2 Max. But when they go to M3, which is going to be the three nanometer chip, the ARM V9 chip, that's going to have so much benefit because when you shrink something down, you can either do the same thing with less power or you can do even more with the same amount of power. That's going to be a big leap forward for them. And then there'll be an M3 Max and an M3 Pro and all those things. Very general thoughts. So first of all, three nanometer sounds nuts. Yeah, I mean, it does. Like quantum realm, right? Yeah. And like, I think you guys can, can vouch for, I call Apple out on a lot of things. Maybe a lot of people don't. Maybe I'm yeah. overly critical. Maybe I'm overly critical. I also think praises do where praises do. What Apple has done with their silicon, I know they've been making their A-series chips for years. What they've done converting it over to desktop is bonkers. I mean, just mm-hmm. absolutely nuts and deserves every ounce of praise and should ever have everybody else who makes a chip, mobile or desktop, terrified and to step up what they can do. 
The fact that we're even having a conversation about a 16-inch laptop coming <laughs> close to performance yeah. of a $40,000 machine two years into its into, into this line of business is crazy. I don't care if they keep the M1 name around for 19 years and there's <laughs> and the MacBook Air gets the M48. The M1 is so damn good. They could call it M1 Pro 2 Max 1798. It does not matter. It is incredible what Apple has done with their silicon. And whether you love Apple, hate Apple, it is going to drive Intel. It's going to drive AMD. It's going to drive Qualcomm. It's going to drive everybody who makes chips is going to have to get so much better and yep. iterate so much faster that the industry, I think, is going to be spinning for years because of what Apple has done. And for that, I think they deserve a ton of credit. And my comment to you, Andrew, about, you know, do you feel ripped off by the iMac Pro is kind of tongue-in-cheek way of saying it's incredible what Apple has done yeah. on the laptop side, but also what kind of giving you a little bit of credit. Of course, of course, yeah. of course. No, I can't wait. Seeing the laptop makes me feel like I just can't wait to see what the desktop can do. What are they even going to drop on us? Because I felt like when the M1 dropped, the original one, First of all, people were in disbelief that they yeah. thought Apple was lying, right? But yes. they were dropping the, the computers were coming out like a week later. So it was like, you'll see in a week. And they weren't lying, right? The performance was incredible on the M1. Then they drop M1 Max, M1 Pro, and they have all these additional claims. And it's like, are you? is it really that good? Like, and, yeah, and, with the, and with that battery life? Yeah, the battery life okay. screws with your brain. Okay. <laughs> it makes the M1, which is still a leader in the industry in a lot of ways look old. The M1 Pro and M1 Max do, right? Because they, they just run laps around the M1, but the M1 is still running laps around other Intel chips. And now we're talking within the next six to 12 months, we're going to see likely something even more powerful than what these laptops can do, or as Renee's saying, two to four times more powerful. I don't even know what that means. I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom what that means. It's like instant export, right? Like instant export, <laughs> like, like like there's your video. It's just, it's just there. Right. It's done. You know, it's like you're saving as a PDF. And then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly it's just on your desktop. Like what else, what else can this do? Right. But it's going to mean like, what is your actual workload? Because like Marquez famously said, he doesn't have to carry his iMac Pro around anymore. He right. had like a Andrew Edwards style uh, AirPods, <laughs> yeah. AirPods Max case for his for his iMac Pro. And he was just carrying it around. And now he can do that on a MacBook. But there's going to be a lot of people who I don't think need the MacBook Pro. But then for people who need to be able to do like huge batch jobs, like they really are farming out tons of renders and they need way more than 64 gigabytes, they'll be able to do that. I think it's just going to more clearly delineate the amount of equipment you think you need for your workload. Yeah. And I think this is one of those instances where consumers went across the board. I'm somebody who came from MacBook Air, which for a lot of pros maybe wasn't as powerful. I was so impressed with that computer that for a lot of people who aren't in our genre, aren't doing crazy stuff, a MacBook Air, even what's going to be an entry-level MacBook Air with, let's say, an M2 processor in it, is going to be so far ahead of the competition that suddenly, from a performance standpoint, you're actually getting better value from Apple, which yeah. is like a, a hard thing to even wrap your head around. This is one of those things where everybody wins from top to bottom, no matter what you are doing, you are going to win with, with Apple's line of silicon. And I, I'm hard on Apple. I love to hate Apple sometimes. People can't decide if I'm biased or not biased. In this instance, I think they deserve all the praise in the world because very rarely do you see a company's freshman effort 
do something so well and actually deliver on the promise. And I think in this case, over-deliver yeah. on the promise. And now I guess we're technically second generation with, with Pro and Max. It's even better. Their charts that looked insane are accurate charts. You can't take some solace in the fact that whatever comes next year for all the desktops, the mouse is still going to be utter trash. I mean, that is fair. I mean, that, I mean yep. Still going to plug in from the bottom. That's like the <laughs> Apple way, right? Like it's, it's give and it's take and like. Right. You know, if Apple's fixing their mistakes, right? They fixed the keyboard. They got rid of touch bar. They brought ports back. Like, you're right. The next thing is like a mouse that plugs in from the, the side or, you know, the top. So you can still use it while it's charging or AirPods Max that charge with USB type C. Like, what else could we have? You never know. Crazy talk. You never know. Hey, speaking of AirPods, they released some new AirPods a couple of weeks ago. Did you get those? Are you wearing those right now? I'm wearing AirPods Pros. I didn't, I didn't get them. I didn't have a reason I'm to. I'm wearing AirPods Pros too. Yeah, see, I, I, I feel the same way. Like, especially when you look at Amazon, I don't know how Amazon does this. Maybe someone else has insight into this. Amazon has been selling the AirPods Pro basically for the price of the new AirPods for like months. Just go to, just go to Amazon instead of Apple and you're buying AirPods Pro for $179, which is the cost of the new non-Pro AirPods. Yeah. So at that point, is it just about, do I like having the rubber tip or not in my ear? Yep. Is that basically it? Yep. <laughs> Some people hate that. <laughs> and ANC, right? Yeah. What I mean is, why wouldn't you get the Pro? Is it just because I just don't like how it feels? Yeah, some people hate that. They think it's painful if it goes into their ear canal. <laughs> I like how you said they think it's painful. They think it's pain. It's not. Well, no, I mean, like, they, they feel pain. Like, no, for them it is. <laughs> like, for me, like, it falls out if it's not. Like, we like, there's right. so many different kinds. It fits 80% of people. That's 20% of people. Still a lot of people. It doesn't fit. That's true. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, AirPods 3 are out there. I guess the big thing was the addition of spatial audio with dynamic head tracking as the main feature, in my opinion. Big deal. Yeah, I didn't realize because they say any wired headphones, is it any wired headphones or any headphones will support spatial audio? I thought it was any headphone. It is really confusing, but there's a couple of things. One is like Apple has two kinds of spatial audio. One is fake, where they take the audio signal, they decompose it like right. computationally, and then they reassemble it into spatial audio for you. And then they, they have real spatial audio where somebody has mixed it for spatial audio, like Dolby Atmos, yes. something like that. Then they also have spatial audio, which just means that you have a 3D soundstage. Then they have spatial audio with dynamic head tracking, which means that that soundstage becomes static. It's like when you have a speaker in the room and you walk around, the speaker doesn't move. Your position right. to the speaker changes, but you hear it from the speaker. Well, with headphones, as you turn your head, the sound turns with you. And what spatial audio with head tracking does is it makes a simulated speaker. So your iPhone, your iPad, your Apple TV, your Mac becomes that fixed location for a speaker. And then as you walk around, even though the headphones are moving with you, it still sounds like that's the speaker in the room that you're walking around. And so if I remember correctly, though, they said for Apple Music, at least, any headphone would work for spatial audio. So I was surprised when they said on these new AirPods that they work with spatial audio Maybe it's a dynamic head tracking. Yeah, it's a dynamic head tracking. So the AirPods second gen would work yeah. with spatial audio, but not with dynamic head tracking. Is that it? I believe so. I'm not sure about, because the thing with Bluetooth headset is Bluetooth is such a thin protocol. It can take such little yeah. amounts of data that I actually don't know what you're capable of pumping through those things anymore. Because it certainly <laughs> isn't like, like people are like, oh, you're not supporting raw audio on, on the air. I'm like, you can, you can barely get a tone through Bluetooth. <laughs> like you're just, you're not getting, you're not getting raw audio through Bluetooth. 
John, you wanted to ask Renee about the Pixel 6. I mean, I thought I wanted to do counter-programming, right? We've been praising Apple for making their own chips. Right. Uh, Google's making their own chips now. And you can't see it, but Renee's holding, Renee's holding his yellow Pro up. Is Google making their own chips? Sort of. It's the way Apple was making their own chips with the A4. It's like, that's how you start off, though. Like, you start off modifying an existing design. Apple started modifying the Cortex A8 design. They used Imagination mm-hmm. GPU. And then they started customizing it more. So the A6 had a fully custom CPU. The A12 had a fully custom GPU. And it just, it takes time. With the Pixel, they're taking a Samsung Exynos chip and they're they're yeah. they're designing their own flavor of it with Google's Titan security enclave and the Tensor machine learning center. My only thing is Google is is the there's these crazy Ivans like they spin around. We were talking about this before the show. You have this amazing face unlock and then it's just gone. You know, it's like there one year, gone the next. You have a flagship phone one year, a budget phone the next. And I think it hurts them because they don't get to iterate the way every other phone vendor does. Like the Galaxy Fold 3 is good because it iterated on the Fold 1 and the Fold 2. The iPhone 13 is good because it iterated on the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 11. And Google has changed course so often with the Pixel that I feel like they've lost out on the benefits of iteration. So like this chip could be phenomenal, but it's going to take five years to get there. And I just hope that they stick with it. Like... I love the Pixel 6. Please make the Pixel 7, like, build it off the Pixel 6. Build the next chip off of this chip and, like, spend, like, five years investing in this platform. It's such a double-edged sword with Google. I mean, on one hand, they're willing to move quickly and pivot away from an idea they don't think is good. And I can can respect that. On the other hand, though, they seem to kill everything. They seem to kill things for sake of killing things. Uh, You know, like Renee said, we're talking about how great their face unlocking was on the Pixel 4. And like, it's gone. We're done with that. I mean, look at Google's, let's say, long history of messaging apps. Done and gone. Now Pixel's a mid-range phone. Now it's a high-end phone. You're like, well, I I don't understand. Like, what? (laughs) The cameras are still good though, right? Like, like, at least something (laughs) has stuck around. And I think what Renee said is very true. I hope they iterate on this. Make this your baseline. You know, make the seven improve on, you know, this first Tensor chipset as we start to make their own real chip. If they're going to stay on the high end, stay on the high end, keep using the same design language if you want. And I think we ultimately we will have something that is really good. And the, the Pixel 6, certainly not without its flaws, right? There's a lot of issues with the fingerprint reader. If only there was a technology that Google had that would maybe make the fingerprint <laughs> reader perhaps redundant or eliminate altogether. I, I can't speak to what that would be. But do you care if it's in display? Like, if they put it in the power button, I wouldn't care. Or put it on the back still, I still wouldn't care. Like, I think it's, like, flashy in the display. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I wouldn't care. We've, at this point, though, we're so many generations in. I think now we're third generation in-screen fingerprint. Like, it should be better. Right? Like, it should be better. Like, this, the current crop of Samsungs, the, the S21 line, is really fast. Yes, it is. Like, it's no difference to me if it's there versus on the side of the back. Like, why are we even close to that now on the, on the Pixel 6 that's come out six months later? They say they're using enhanced security algorithms to make sure it's really your finger, not somebody's finger you're carrying around in your pocket. But which that's the whole basis like, of, the, of the technology, right? You have like optical, which is gross, you know, optical fingerprint yeah. taking a picture, you know, versus ultrasonic actually seeing yeah. inside of your thumb. I'm like, I get it. What's to prevent like face ID from, I mean, it's like carrying a severed head in my bag, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's unlocking it. suitcase. Yeah. Anyway, I, that's just, my, my, I was curious what Renee thought about, you know, what Google is doing. Because I, th- I think it's a very cool step. And I think it's the yeah. start of something very new for them. And postulated that it's a very first step of Google's hedge bet against losing Apple. 
No, like Material U, I think is great too. Like it looks, it looks fantastic. My only concern is they still have this system where like the vice president of finance, the the chief financial officer, wants an iPhone business. She wants to make money off of the yep. off of the Pixel. She wants another revenue stream. Where a lot of the product managers still want to dog food everything. Let's make a bathtub notch one year, a Soli sensor the next year, whatever RIP foldable. But like they want to they want to dog food everything. And then you have a third group who want to make cheap devices for developers in emerging markets. And you can have all those arguments in the company, but you have to pick a direction and stick with it for a few years. You can't jump back and forth and have different people win every year and then have like, what's his name, show up at the last minute and go, hey, why is the battery life terrible? It's like, no, yeah. Osterlo, you were supposed to be there 18 <laughs> months ago to ask about the battery life. Like, you know, like they just have to get that ship all rowing in the same direction. And I think they'll be phenomenal. Can I postulate for just a minute, tinfoil hat, postulate something? Of course. Yeah, please. We made a video on this on the Apple Circle, but it's not that known or not talked about. But Alphabet is paying Apple $6 billion a year to have Google be the default search engine on yes. the iPhone. That's not a little bit of money. And presumably, they are getting more than $6 billion worth of information back, right? That they can use and monetize. They're not in the business of, of losing money. Apple seems to be going down the direction of obviously not wanting to turn down $6 billion, but trying to lock their devices down and be more in control of what they're doing. They appear to be to my understanding, getting closer to either their own search engine, a DuckDuckGo acquisition, tight, tightening things up. If I were Google, I would imagine the prospect of that, whether it happens or not, is slightly frightening. And presumably the value they're getting back from $6 billion is a lot of advertising information and personal information that's coming through those searches. So if you're saying we're making a lot of money from another company's phone because they sell a lot of them, what if the phone that we sold, we could sell more of them and actually took this business seriously? made a phone with more mass appeal, made a phone where we control the processor, made a phone where we were controlling more things about it. And then, hey, Google's integrated into it too, so we'll get more information back. I think the Pixel 6 on some level was a hedge against that. And the first step of a hedge against losing that bevy of information that they're getting from the iPhone devices out there. They have gotten smarter. Like a couple of generations ago, they were not allowed to talk to the Android team because they thought it was unfair to OEMs if they went and talked to the Android team. And the Pixel team had to point out that, but that team talks to Samsung, that team talks to OnePlus. Why can't they yeah. talk to us? It's not unfair. You're actually hobbling us by not allowing us to talk to them. And it seems like they're actually doing, like you said, something maybe more integrated now. But I wonder what would happen to OEMs if they start to feel that Google was being predatory. Like not just yeah. trying to make a, an aspirational device, but trying to actually... because they. Both Microsoft with the Surface and Google with the Pixel very carefully advertise against Apple. Even though they're saying, don't buy a Dell, buy this. Don't buy a OnePlus, buy this. Yeah. They can't say that out loud. And so I wonder what kind of balancing act that is. I mean, that's a very fair point. And, and, and again, maybe this is just conspiracy theories. But if I was Sundar, and this is a, that's a big amount of money and a big amount of users, and we are, for all intents of uh, an advertising company, a search company, we happen to make a lot of hardware. That would be terrifying to me. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, that's a good point. I feel like that's too much money to give up, though, for anybody. I don't know why. I feel it's like to totally true. But if one company would give it up, and fair. if one company would make a huge deal about why they gave it up. Mm. They won't give up 15% on the App Store, but they would give up. <laughs> I mean, talk about it. Monetize the news. We did yeah. this for you. Right. I can see it. 
Apple is the company that could do it. I mean, $6 billion is not a little bit of money. They've got the war chest to absorb it for a few years as whatever search engine they, oh, they, they think do. it's going to go to like 12 in the next couple of years. Which is nuts. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, like, I don't know. It just, it, it seems like a conversation. Is Apple building search? I guess that's another question. Is Apple actually building a search Can competitor with search? Siri? Can they? Can <laughs> yeah. they with Siri? I mean, Certainly. with the, the voice plan, the music voice plan, it just kind of put that in my head. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. it's just Apple music for now. I don't want to be mean, though, but like you go to Apple search and you type in like a movie title and it says it, like it gives you the complete like gives you like a flower market down the street. Like That's my nightmare <laughs> scenario. Would anybody be surprised if the news came out tomorrow that Apple bought DuckDuckGo? No, would, any, would, would anybody, anybody bat an eye and be like, oh, that no, doesn't make sense. Not at all. That seems like it would make perfect sense. And just replace that as the default in Safari on desktop and mobile. I mean, that'd be a baller move. I don't know, does that help Apple more? Does it hurt Google more? Like, is Google injured by a move like that? Does it help Google with the antitrust in the European Union if Apple does that? Mm. Fair, fair points. Fair points all around. And does it hurt Apple as a, as a larger trust case, right? Like now Apple's controlling all of my search? I don't know. Yeah. But I, I do think there is more behind the scenes that led to this drastic pixel change than what was being told. Fair. I'm excited to see what's next for the Pixel. I'm, I'm hoping yeah, same. that they, like you guys said, they stick with it because I've never felt that Google was really in the phone game. Like Apple became yeah. for several years, and some might still consider them a phone company. Sure. Like the iPhone is the bread and butter for Apple. Google was never in that position, and maybe they never wanted to become reliant, but it just seemed like they just wanted to have a phone just yeah. To put one out there, but they were never really serious. Like, I can't say in good faith that I ever looked at any year of the Pixel and said, Google is in it, like, to win it now. It just seemed more like a, an afterthought, just like, we'll just have a phone too. Well, to John's point, remember, like, they add the Pixel Core to make, like, the photography yeah. go fast. The next year, like, nope, sorry. Yeah, it's gone. Photos it's are gone. slow again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I loved the Pixel 4. I just, I, I took like a soft spot for the Pixel 4, as I think, like, the orange peak. one. Yeah, it was the yeah. colors were awesome. Their, their facial unlocking was incredible. Like it was so good. And like this is the future. Google's in it. And then there's like, oh yeah, now we're going down market and that's gone. Well, what? Gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Renee, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. I love we you. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you coming back for our return. There's no Absolutely. better way to return to the masses, to the ears of the listeners than with the dulcet tones of Renee Ritchie. So <laughs> We appreciate you (laughs) being here as always. Of course, if you want to see any of Renee's daily, it's not daily anymore, but it's it's very often and it is in depth. Just look him up, Renee Ritchie on YouTube. And I I will say to anybody who's new or has listened to Renee, Andrew and I combined have probably been doing this for for over 20 years. I learned something new every every Renee video that I watch. But even, even a topic that I thought I knew, there's a nuance to it. There's a behind-the-scenes fact that led us to that point that I didn't know. I mean, so any video, and give it a shot if you haven't watched Renee's content. Just pick any video. Pick one at random, and I guarantee you will learn something new about that topic or product that you did not know before. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, and we will see you next week. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gearlive. And John is at youtube.com slash John for 
Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.